Hey listeners, I'm your host, Sally Holder. Join me each week to escape and be refreshed with stories of people who dared not to settle for the American dream. Go beyond just getting enough in life and live into a place where big dreams actually do come true. Each week, you'll discover why internal success is better than external success. Be prepared to redefine what your best looks like in life and free yourself from the guilt of wanting more. joined the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. Thank you for taking some time today. Thank you, Sally, for having me. I'm so excited. So you are one of the founders of Hari Mari, a, an incredible flip-flop brand. And so tell us a little bit about what Hari Mari is, you know, where the name came from. I know it's from Indonesia, but kind of give us the whole background of, you know, what the company is right now. And then I can't wait to hear more about what made you start it. Great. So Hari Mari is a premium flip-flop brand. We're a little bit um, out of the ordinary in terms of not only being a premium flip-flop company, um, but also where we're located and also in terms of how we speak to our consumers. So we're out of Dallas, which is unique in itself, given most flip-flop brands are out of California. And we also focus on lifestyle instead of surf. So wanted to kind of come out of the gates being different Kind of breaking the mold a little bit in terms of what people are normally used to seeing in it for a flip-flop brand. Oh, that's so exciting. So, but you took a really interesting path to get to being the owner of this company. Tell me a little bit about your background, um, where you grew up, and kind of what your first steps were once you graduated from college. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Dallas, and then from there went to the University of Arizona, and studied history with a pre-law minor, so nowhere even near retail or anything in the vicinity. Oh, great. So you were on my path, headed, headed towards law school. Yeah, exactly. I was. And I started working right after college for a company called AEG Live and started as an intern. And three years later, four years later, I was their head of sales for the Southwest region. Loved my job. The guy I was dating at the time, who you know well, Jeremy, um, and a really cool opportunity presented itself to him to move to Jakarta, Indonesia. So I fought it for several months, almost a year, and it took a proposal to get me to go over there with him. And so next thing I know, I am walking away from a career I'd worked really hard for and that I loved, and I'd sold my car and put everything I owned, what little of it I owned, into storage and took off to go live in in Jakarta, Indonesia. Amazing. And did you have any fear around that experience? No, I didn't have any fear because I'd grown up in a house where my parents had actually, for as long as I could remember, or every year, basically, once we turned an adolescent, they took us to second and third world countries in our summers. And we spent weeks there so traveling, traveling was normal for me. It was um, something that I loved and enjoyed and going to developing countries wasn't frightening for me either. Um, but what was, I think I had more fear in not being able to have a career there um, than anything else because I'd worked since I was you know, 14, 15 years old. And the way that visas work is that you, they only issue one work visa per family. Um, so it was, and, and Jeremy was working on quite a few projects over there. 
um, I'll let him tell you that story because we kind of had two different stories while, while living in Indonesia. But I ended up getting on the board for the American Women's Association and spent my time helping kids in orphanages in and around Jakarta. And it was all on a volunteer basis, right? Correct. Correct. And well, it was wonderful because the first time in my life, I was like, well, I have time. What do I want to do? What, what can I do? And, and given the amount of poverty there, um, there was definitely need to try and help kids there. So that's, that's what I did. And um, it was the most life-changing yet rewarding and challenging experience I've ever dealt, I've ever experienced in my life. That is amazing. So how long did you serve with that organization? We lived there for almost three years, from 2007 to 2010. And um, it was wild. You know, families live on less than a dollar a day. There's no access to health care. Um, and in most parts of the city, there's, I mean, there's no formal trash system. There's no formal sewage system. Obviously very different from the U.S., right? And um, seeing what I saw at these orphanages in and around Jakarta um, was just heartbreaking. Absolutely. So in that city, you also formed a real attachment, it sounds like, to the people there and being able to give back. So how did that end up influencing your next career move when you came back to the States? Um, to do with it. We moved back and I actually got my old job back. And oh, really? I did, instantly. <laughs> and it was not the same. My heart wasn't in it. I had changed um, and I knew that it just wasn't something that I was going to be able to put my heart into. And so Jeremy was, given his background and what he was doing, he wanted to start his own company and do something new and different. And the idea of actually starting a flip-flop company was Jeremy's. And when we got the product in, I just, I almost started crying when I first saw it, as cheesy as that sounds, because it's just a flip-flop. But it was totally backwards. Before we even started the business or knew what we were going to do, we knew that we wanted to continue helping kids. We knew that we wanted to keep it here in the U.S. We had learned that pediatric cancer is the most fatal disease of children in the United States, more so than all childhood diseases combined. So Harimari was a little bit backwards in that we had the philanthropic portion of our business decided before we'd even started the company. So um, I, I know I'm kind of jumping around from from topic to topic, but I uh, were back in the U.S. and my old job just wasn't doing it for me. And Jeremy and I like, well, we want to do something to help kids. And so we decided that, and then he decides on flip-flops and then I quit my job and um, we were all in at that point. And that was um, about in 2011, we did R&D for about a year and a half. And then finally went to market in March of 2012. Wow. So that was quite, <laughs> quite a journey. Um, so you were at your previous company and like you said, you were different. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Because that is a lot of the focus of what this podcast is really about is, you know, that we have this idea of what the American dream is and that it involves being at a successful company and that it involves, you know, the two kids, the white picket fence. And what I want people to be able to do is to dream outside that box and to be able to see that, you know, when they experience something really different, like this Jakarta experience gave you that they can, you know, often see a bigger world that's out there and lots of different experiences, you know, 
uh, or lots of different opportunities, should I say, exist for people that are well beyond, you know, that just very tiny square box. Um, So tell me a little bit about what you felt kind of sitting in that chair, if you can kind of paint a picture for us. It felt really empty. Hmm. It felt lack, uh, I felt like I had a lack of purpose. I wasn't fulfilled. Um, And I'm sure a lot of people from the outside thought, oh, it's so cool, Lila has this job in the music business and I, I was waking up every day almost depressed because I wasn't able to do something that gave back and that had a higher purpose and um, just that made me excited to wake up in the morning. And yeah. I, grappled, I, I really struggled with the decision because I knew it was a great opportunity and that it was a great job and obviously I had a paycheck. And so the idea of dropping that and, you know, starting something totally new without a paycheck was, and especially because we had just bought a house and I was pregnant with Aiden and all these things. It was just people that we were nuts, but I've, I've never felt so, so, it was the greatest feeling actually quitting once I did it, once I got it off my chest and did, I was like, wow, next, let's go do this. And people thought we were nuts because we had a mortgage and a child and a kid, our first kid on the way. And we had said goodbye to paychecks and careers. And, um, but I know that if I didn't, I would have regretted it for the rest of my life. Yeah. You have to at least try, right? Right. I I love that. And what you experience kind of sitting in that chair is what I refer to as hitting rock middle. You know, it's that point where you have all the trappings, all the things inside the box and you say, wait a minute, I have it all, but I'm miserable. There's got to be something else out there that's more purposeful. And so oftentimes too, when we make that decision, it comes with a lot of guilt and a lot of friction. And it sounds like you experience both of those as well. Um, you said people were calling you crazy. So how did you get through that though? You know, how do you walk through those feelings of guilt and the, all the people telling you you're absolutely nuts because to go against the grain is unusual and it makes other people feel uncomfortable. So, you know, how would you tell somebody else to kind of break free of those chains and go for it? Go with your gut. You've got to go with your gut and you cannot listen to the naysayers. You just can't, you got to tune them out, focus on the positive, surround yourself with people that support it. Um, I was also really fortunate because Jeremy and I did it together. So we had each other, right? I can, I, I can't under, I, I can't even imagine how difficult that must be really doing it solo, right? But we had each other and we both believed in what we were getting ready to go do and knew that um, if we didn't at least go try it, we would have forever regretted it, right? And, um, but I just really, you gotta go with your gut at the end of the day. You know, you've got to follow it. And if you're passionate about something, even if it fails, well, so what? You'll still look back and be like, I tried it. And that will feel so invigorating just because you tried it, you know? So I couldn't agree more. I love that. In fact, it gave me chills. I had chills on my face when you were saying, follow your gut, follow your intuition. It's something that I believe so strongly in. And then you said too, you know, the, so what if it fails? So did you ever think, you know, as you were making that transition, this thing might fail, right? It, it might not work out. Did you kind of, what were you thinking, you know, about that failure option? Well, there were so many hardships along the way um, from making really bad hires to 
getting a, 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 um, a shipment of horrible product that was half of it was defective when we received it. I mean, there's a, there's a long list of really big hurdles and obstacles that we had to overcome. Um, and you just kind of take them on and, 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 and deal with them as they come. But I always, not to get religious or spiritual on you, but I really did lean on that. And I remember a time about four years ago, um, maybe four and a half, I was asking for a sign. I was trying to open my, my mind and heart up to the universe and say, what, what do I need to do here? Do I need to go get a, a job that we have an income so Jeremy can continue to do this or show me a sign? And I was really down and out and depressed and we'd had, you know, 10 different hurdles thrown our way within probably one quarter. And I remember one of my girlfriends, her mom's mom had given me Joanna Gaines book. Um, and I'd never, never watched Fixer Upper. I was familiar with them only because they're all over the media, but her, this woman gave me the book and she said, you have to read this. There's so much relatability, husband and wife team, starting a company and a family at the same time. So I did. I read it. And do you know the name of that book? I'd, I'd have to look it up. I'm forgetting it off the top of my head, um, and, which is terrible because it was like such a pivotal moment for me, but. That's okay. I'll figure it out and put it in the show notes for everyone. Perfect. And I, it was one of those books that was so good because you didn't want it to end. And I'm on the last page and I've been obviously talking with Jeremy about how much I was enjoying it and how much it spoke to me. And I close the book and I walk into the living room and it's Saturday afternoon and I'm like pouting to Jeremy that the book was done and he kind of motions at me to be quiet. And I'm like, what? And I look over and he had just happened to turn on the television and a, a rerun of Fixer Upper was on and Joanna Gaines was wearing a pair of Hari Maris in that exact moment. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, no. And I, I literally, I was like, well, there's my sign. And I couldn't have asked for a bigger sign. I mean, in your face, like crystal clear, you know? And so um, that, and, and everyone's signs are gonna be different, right? And some may not be as, as vivid as that. But for me, it's always just looking for signs and looking for positivity where you can to keep going. Oh my gosh, what an incredible experience. You know, as something I talk to clients about a, a great deal is just what you said and what you got to experience is the signs are there. Yeah. And, but oftentimes we're either ignoring them or we're looking for evidence of the opposite, right? We're looking for evidence that it won't work. And most of the time, um, you know, you're going to find evidence of whatever you're looking for. So when you're looking for evidence that, that you're never going to get where you want to go and you feel like you keep collecting it, you know, what I tell people is how about you turn in the other direction and look for the signs that it will work. Yeah. And, and when you did, it was there waiting for you. I, I, Love that. What an amazing experience. So you got the sign, keep going. And, and then everything was perfect from there and you soared to success, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, um, you know, how do you keep going when you experience then, you know, the downs, um, you know, and how do you not take those as signs that nothing is going to end up going your way? Well, I look at, instead of focusing on the negative, I, and it, it, and it takes effort to do this. So this is not something that I've been able just to do overnight. And it's really been kind of a learned behavior, but it's 
pulling as much gratitude from what we've experienced as I possibly can, right? Whether it's, um, you know, just being thankful in a quiet moment that we own our own business and that we're able to do that or walking into a grocery store and seeing someone wear a pair of Hardy Mars that I don't know or, um, you know, knowing that what we're doing is helping sick kids along the way, whatever that may be. We go to hospitals and do what we call flop drops and take flip flops to the kids that are sick. That gives me perspective pretty instantly, pretty quickly. Um, but you just have to focus on on the positives and um, try and have fun with it and not take it so seriously. And um, just know that they're always good that's going to come with the bad, you know? Absolutely. So as you were kind of going through this experience of building the company, is there any kind of one thing that happened that indicated to you, okay, now we're on the path to success. We've made it. You know, what kind of told you, we don't have to worry anymore. This brand is going to stick around. Well, I'm such a masochist. I still don't feel like we've made it. I still feel like we have a long way to go, but <laughs> so I don't know if that's good or bad, but there was one instance with Nordstrom that definitely helped put the brand on, on the map and um, really helped us kind of solidify who we are in the marketplace. So it was pretty early on within the brand's inception. It was, it was launched in 2012. And, um, you know, I know that from what I've been told, it takes brands years to get into Nordstrom. And so it is, um, January of 2014. So we're not even two years old. And um, I was able, fortunate enough to get in contact with the Nordstrom buyers and they did an online test. And, you know, obviously I was really nervous because for the most part, people don't buy footwear they're, they aren't familiar with online. It's a sea touch feel scenario in a store. So I was like, my gosh, we've got this one huge opportunity and it's going to be online with Nordstrom. We've got to perform and um, so kind of ner nervous about it and the weather, warm weather picks up and spring hits and summer hits and fill-ins start coming. And next thing I know, we had an insanely high sell-through our first summer online with them. So the next season, with brand not even being three years old, we were in 74 locations. So we went wow. from zero to 74 in a year, and which I know is unheard of, um, or at least from what people have told me. And... Um, so that was that was pretty huge for us. It was our first our first major department store, um, our first national store, and you know to go from an online test to seventy four locations, I just couldn't have been more more pleased and thankful for that. Yes, I would definitely say that's an indication that things are going well. <laughs> um, so talk to me a little bit as well about the philanthropic arm, because I know, you know, that was really the impetus for starting the brand. And it was, you know, something that it was a need that you wanted to be able to fill after spending so much time in Jakarta. So tell me how it is, you know, incorporated into the Hari Mari brand now. Right. So 1% of all sales goes to kids who are battling pediatric cancer here in the United States. We call it flops fighting cancer. And it was important to us to do it, not only because of our time spent abroad, but because of the statistics behind it. It's like one in every 400 children are gonna be diagnosed with cancer before they turn 18. The numbers are, are terrifying, really. And so the way that we've set it up is that we have a couple partner hospitals that we work with. 
And so the money that we donate goes to pay down the medical bills of kids who, whose families can't afford it. And there are a couple organizations too that we donate as well that have the same kind of philanthropic business model. And um, what's exciting is as we continue to grow, we'll add, continue to add partner hospitals in different spots across the country to take it, take it more nationally, so to speak. But we're proud of it. Um, I realize that not every consumer purchases everything based upon whether or not there's a give back component. But to us, it's not about that. It's about what we feel like is important and what we're passionate about. And um, sure, selling flip-flops is more fun, but it's a whole lot more meaningful knowing that we're able to help some sick kids along the way. So um, about four times, in addition to that, about four, maybe five times a year, we go into those partner hospitals and we take flip-flops to the kids that are being treated there in their pediatric um, oncology unit. And um, it's just brings you back down and, and it's really rewarding and I'm, I'm thankful that we're able to do it. That is amazing. What a gift for those families and I'm sure a huge burden off of them getting to have some of those medical bills paid too. Um, so let's shift just a little bit because I know that you are also a mom of kids and so how many children do you have and what are their ages? We have two little ones, Aiden is seven and Callan is three. And I don't know what we were thinking starting a business at the same time or six months after we just had our first kid, but that was crazy, but we made it. <laughs> <laughs> You're still here and alive. And they're happy, healthy little kids. So, so far so good. So that kind of leads me to that question, which is a lot of women that I speak with say, how in the world am I going to be an entrepreneur and a mom of young kids at the same time? I ought to wait until they're older or I ought to wait until they're in school or, you know, until they're in college in order to get started. Kind of what advice do you have to other women who really know what their passion is but they're really worried about being able to be an entrepreneur and a mom at the same time. You can do both. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. And you can probably relate to this too. It's hard. And that mom guilt doesn't go away. And it's not going to go away if your kids are in college or if they're not in college or at home and still in diapers, you know? And, um, I, you know, that's what mother's dad programs are for. And there are amazing nannies out there. And there are a lot of working moms that you can, connect with because they're doing the same thing and your kids are going to be more well-rounded for it, you know, or at least that's my opinion. And, um, it's hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I travel a lot for Harry Mari. I'm on a plane once a week in the summer, every week. And, and it's really hard being away from the kids, but we do have a lot of support. Jeremy's home. Both of our families live here in Dallas. So we're really fortunate in that regard. Um, but they also have the upside of seeing a really happy mom fulfilled in what she's doing and to me I hope that they're able to pull from that and take that and look at that to not only appreciate but maybe do the same when they're older you know so um, it's, it's a hard decision though I mean don't get me wrong that mom guilt does not go away seven years in it's still a daily thing you know but um, again back to trying to live your life without any regret gotta go for it. Yeah, something I, I talk about a lot is the fact that you only get one ride here, right? Just one trip. So make the most of it. For sure. Um, and it definitely sounds like you're doing that. 
So where do you now then see Harimari going in the next six months, in the next six years? What are you really excited about um, coming up? Well, just like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, we launched with J. Crew, which <gasps> so was- great. Breaking news. Had no idea. It's thrilling. So that was big on my bucket list. That was an account that we've been wanting to work with since we started. So that's been really exciting. And um, they've since reached out wanting us to do a a special line for kids next year, which is just so cool. And then um, coming up, we're also in next month, actually. So in two weeks, um, we're launching on QVC, which will be interesting. And um, I know that'll definitely help our women's business and being able to have the opportunity to go on air and tell a large audience your story is um, really exciting. And and then beyond, I mean, really we're just adding new product to the mix and getting bigger. I still feel like Hari Mari is so small that if you ask, you know, nine out of 10 people, if they're familiar with it, they aren't. And um, so just to be able to, to flip the script on that and, and become more of kind of a nationally known flip-flop brand, because we've got a long way to go in that regard. And um, fun being able to hire new people and bring in new expertise into the, into the Hari Mari team. We have an amazing team and just fun growing. And so what is your official role at the company right now? Well, we're so funny because we don't have titles. Um, so it depends on who you ask. Um, I guess if you ask, um, a certain group, I'm, you know, VP of sales or CEO or co-founder or whatever it may be, but I do oversee Harimari's wholesale um, team. That's been my largest role and my main role since we started and I continue to do it. Um, Jeremy and I working together, people always are like, how do y'all do it without killing each other? Which is a very great question. Um, and I oversee wholesale and PR and Jeremy oversees harimari.com and the digital side of our business. So that's the divide. Um, and so I spend probably 75% of my time overseeing our wholesale side of the company. Oh, great. Yeah, that should have been a question I should have led with for sure. How in the world do you work with your husband and not kill him? <laughs> well, it's taken some time to figure out, but, um, you know, we do complement each other well. I feel like his strengths and, um, and I couldn't do what he does and I feel like vice versa. And so it's a good mix in that regard and a good marriage in that regard. Um, and it's been such a challenge over the years. I, I am thankful to have had the support of having a spouse kind of in the weeds with us, with me when we're doing it and get to do it together, but it hasn't always been pretty, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so as you reflect back on your the last seven years and your experience abroad and then even your experience um, at the company, you know, in the corporate world before you left to go abroad, do you kind of see a thread kind of going through all of those experiences that have taken you to today? And if so, kind of what do you see as that thread that's kind of led you here? Mm, Probably I'm stubborn. I'm so stubborn. <laughs> you know, like back when I first started working right out of college, like I just wasn't going, there's no, I wasn't going to allow myself to fail, right? Kind of the will to, and the drive to be successful or want to be successful. And that doesn't necessarily mean a certain amount of money in the bank, just feeling fulfilled, 
right? And that I've always wanted to feel fulfilled. And so with that was, you know, success in the previous job or, you know, obviously with Mari Mari wanting to feel fulfilled and, and what we do from a standpoint, but from also from a business standpoint. And so I feel like that kind of stubborn trait and, and persistence on those things has definitely helped. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it's very interesting that you're saying too, that it was, you know, the stubborn trait of always pursuing your purpose because a lot of people will give in because it takes a lot of determination to stay on that path when so many people want to push you back to a path that they feel is more comfortable. Right. Yeah, or more along societal norms, right? Your mom stay at home or, you know, there's, there's so many things that, um, kind of, like you said, back towards the beginning of our conversation, kind of put you in a box and, and maybe keep you there. You know? Yeah. You have to. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you as well, um, you know, talking about challenging the norm, you know, there are a few kind of big powerhouse brands that people think of when it comes to flip-flops. And, you know, I know that, you know, others, have taken on the behemoths before, but it can be a really challenging experience. So what made you think we can do this despite it being, you know, a really uphill battle? I think, you know, we did R and D for about a year and a half. And so this was, it was everything that we did was extremely calculated, not only before we even launched or before we even started designing the product and taking a look at the existing marketplace and who our competitors would be. And we found that so many of, of the brands that we are now sold alongside in, in stores have been around since the seventies and eighties and um, not a whole lot of innovation, a lot of black, a lot of Brown, none of them giving back or having a philanthropic component to their business. And we found that there was this huge kind of missing part of the flip-flop or sandal space, which was premium color, and comfort. And, and to take it a step further, kind of back to what I briefly touched upon in the beginning, in addition to that, every flip-flop brand out there, they're talking to their consumer in a surf aesthetic, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. There's obviously a market for it. But if you look at the true kind of growth story behind where flip-flops are coming from, it's middle America. It's where we are. It's kind of where you are. And, and whether people know how to surf or not, it doesn't matter that it's not going to re resonate with them. So we wanted to come to market and focus on lifestyle and people wearing their flip-flops in a way that is more relatable, whether it's to the lake or to a cookout or to happy hour, sometimes to work now. And um, obviously the days of suits are dwindling. And with that, you know, flip-flops have certainly become a large recipient of that. So we thought if, hey, if we came to market and, and focused on kind of those spaces that are there's a void of in the market and do it in our own way. And maybe what we'd be onto something. And so we didn't, we were really calculated we did focus groups and we talked to all ages and about what they did and didn't like about flip-flops. And that was so helpful because out of that focus group, we actually left everyone talked about the topies, how much they hated it. So we left that focus group and went and designed a memory foam toe post and filed for a patent and got our patent a year ago on it. And um, just tried to, instead of create something that's already out there, we just really focused on creating something that wasn't and filling the blanks where people may have not even known or noticed that there was a blank to fill, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Every market has a white space and 
it sounds like you did a really great job of doing your due diligence to figure out where the white space was in your particular industry and determining how you can fill that in a way that meets the needs of the consumer first. And when you're always serving them first and their needs, then selling the product to them becomes rather easy. And so you did that in a really thoughtful way. And it certainly has contributed to the success. I, as a wearer and purchaser of Harry Murray, can also attest that it is a a fantastic um, flip-flop. In fact, it's the only one I wear now. And I love the fact that, like you said, it is for the regular consumer. One that, you know, you can wear, you know, to work on a Friday afternoon and be comfortable and casual, but not feel like you're in, you know, some rubber flip-flops. <clears throat> I appreciate that. That's so nice. Um, <clears throat> well, I really appreciate you taking the time. It sounds like you have a really exciting future ahead. Um, is there anything else that you feel like the listeners need to know about Hari Mari that we missed. So in case they're wondering what in the world Hari Mari means. Yes, for sure. To say, because it kind of brings it all full circle. So Hari in the Indonesian language means of the sun. And then Mari in Latin means of the sea. So kind of a fun play on words pertaining to flip-flops, but allowing us to tie our history and time spent into the name of the brand. So so beautiful. Little tidbit, but... No, that's all I can think of. And thank you. I love anytime we're given the opportunity to tell our story and completely tell our story. I'm always so thankful because there's not enough opportunities to do so. So thank you. Absolutely. So if people want to participate and they want to be able to buy Hari Mari, where can they go to follow your future and be able to purchase a pair of the flip-flops? Go to harimari.com and it will also have a list of retailers in their neighborhood to check it out. And then we're, um, our social media team would be upset with me if I didn't mention it. Our Insta handle is at Hari Mari Shoes. So. Perfect. Yeah. I know that everyone will be jumping on those as we head into the summer months as well. So thank you, Lila. I really appreciate your time. It's thank been you. such a joy. I, I feel like we're, you know, just getting a glimpse into what is going to be the next behemoth brand. So feel very fortunate. Be nice. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So thanks so much for listening to the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. I'm your host, Sally Holder. Remember that you can find out more about us, this podcast, and all the projects I'm working on at sallyholder.com and clicking on our podcast section. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And if you've enjoyed listening, please leave us a review. It makes all the difference. We'll be back next week with another empowering story of dreaming beyond the American dream. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Bye.